Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. It's Friday on Today in Ohio, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn here with Lisa Garvin, Laura Johnston, and Layla Tassi. Before we get started on discussion of the news, I don't know if you guys saw yesterday, there was a poll that was came out in the governor's race. We don't report polls for reasons we've explained. They're not that reliable. I was surprised at how it was reported, though, because it showed DeWine had a 15-point lead on Nan Whaley, and the reporting on it was, oh, my gosh, he's got a commanding lead. And I'm looking at it thinking, wow, he's been in office longer than Nan Whaley's been alive. Everybody in Ohio knows him. Hardly anybody knows who Nan Whaley is yet, and she's only 15 points behind. I'd be doing handstands if I were Nan Whaley because that is a margin she can overcome if she gets her name out there. But if you look at the reporting, it's like it's DeWine's, DeWine's going to win big. He's got a huge lead. I don't know. She's got a lot of months to, to make up some ground and, you know, a lot of issues that she can push, you know, to, to get her ahead, I would think. Yeah, I, I really think the Democrats have a shot here. I, this is, if I were Mike DeWine, I'd be worried. You know, I, we, we talked yesterday about the press conference about the auto plant and we, thought we would talk more about it today but they didn't say anything it was like they weren't ready to have this press conference we don't even know what vehicle they're going to build and i'm wondering if dewine feeling the pressure is staging some press conferences and pushed it early anyway it's a poll you can't really trust polls but but, but the way it's being reported is odd to me i, I think nan whaley has an opportunity with guns and abortion to have a really centrist point of view and if everybody yeah, uh, comes I, out, not just the super partisan people, if every if, if it's really a get out the vote kind of issue, mm-hmm. I think. And she's young and, mm-hmm. you know, she's likable. So I th- look, I it just it's odd if go look at the news reports on it, because I think the, the, the whole focus was completely, completely missed the politics of what's going on. Anyway, we're not here to talk about that. Let's begin. <laughs> Is it coincidence or intentional that the Ohio House passed a ban on transgender girls playing girls sports in high school on the first day of Pride Month? Layla, what would the bill do? You know, to do this on the first day of Pride is just off the charts offensive, I think. And and I find it impossible to believe that they didn't know what they were doing. Right. I mean. House Bill 151 passed 56 to 28 with the Democrats voting against it. It now heads to the Ohio Senate, which is in summer recess and they won't return until the fall. Instead of considering testosterone levels or the length of time an athlete has been medically transitioning, House Bill 151 is would be an all out ban of transgender girls and women from playing women's sports. If an athlete's sex is disputed, 
she would have to present a signed physician's statement about her internal and external reproductive anatomy and normal endogenously produced levels of testosterone. She also would have to show an analysis of her genetic makeup. Can you imagine? So technically, as Representative Beth Liston from Columbus pointed out, if a girl looks a little too masculine or if a parent is upset that another child gets more playing time than their child, they could simply call into question the other child's anatomy and there goes the uh, the entire analysis of this uh, this person's uh, sexual <laughs> identity. Um, you know, outrageously, this bill started out as something entirely something else entirely. It sought to change the Ohio Resident Educator Program, which assists new teachers with mentoring and professional development as they start out their careers. The bill would permit online mentoring in addition to in-person mentoring and stuff like that. But on the Ohio House floor late Wednesday night, Representative Gina Powell, a Republican from Dark County, offered this amendment to the bill based on an earlier bill that she had sponsored called the Save Women's Sports Act. That bill had only received two hearings after being introduced last year. Back then, Powell tried to add the Save Women's Sports Act into another bill protecting college athletes' names, images, and likenesses. Remember that, everybody? She tried to hide this objectionable idea in the guts of a bill that most people could get behind, but her amendment died in the Senate back then. So here it is again. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're going to argue that because it, they, they passed it when they did because it was the last day before their recess. But but you're right. The significance of doing it when they did it, it's a slap in the face. You know, we talked yesterday about how the legislature should not have done the third grade reading guarantee. They should have used educators to figure out what the best way to get kids to read is. The Ohio High School Athletic Association had put a lot of thought into a policy on transgender. They're the experts on this, and they really had invested themselves in coming up with a policy. And here we have lawmakers on completely partisan grounds with no thought about the science overruling the educators and saying this is the way it's going to go in a in a what is a pretty offensive kind of program and you're right Layla the minute somebody takes offense at the athletic prowess of a girl in a high school athletic contest they're going to say I want the test I want the test I think they're a boy and that that'll be awful yeah right and and you know by, by shoehorning it into another piece of legislation you're, you're bypassing the important part of the legislative process where you hear from the people, where you're, you gather the feedback from your constituents and learn about the impact of your discriminatory policy on real people. Powell is trying to get this passed before transgender students have a chance to be heard. Well, I, you know, I can only imagine that doing this at the very beginning of Pride Month is going to whip up all that opposition. And so... Well, it's let also it ha- let it happen. It's also <laughs> illegal. Uh, that doesn't seem to matter with our lawmakers anymore or the governor, because you're supposed to have single subject bills and cramming. Right? Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, you can challenge this law through the Ohio Supreme Court because it doesn't do that. But but and that's what's right. You're right. The, the reason they do it is they don't want to have the hearings. It's what they do in the lame duck session. They pass all sorts of stuff and they and we never get to have hearings about it. Um, it's a very cynical approach. And again, it's the lawmakers breaking the law, which which has created just statewide cynicism about our elected leaders. It's a kind of a sad day. It would have been worth having a real discussion about this because there are a lot of Ohioans that are still trying to figure out what they think about it.
You're listening to Today in Ohio. With parking at Cleveland Hopkins International Airport sometimes completely full, how many spaces might the airport be adding with its purchase and demolition of the hotel on the airport grounds? Lisa, we talked previously about how they're buying that hotel and they thought it would be parking, but they've quantified what it will mean in parking. Yes, um, the city of Cleveland is going to pay $12.1 million to terminate the lease of the Sheraton Cleveland Airport Hotel. That's a 26 years early and that will pave the way for its demolition later this year or early next year the hotel closed permanently on tuesday so it has a 432 space parking lot that will open to travelers very soon and that will be added to the orange lot and then after the hotel is demolished that will create about four to five hundred more parking spaces the the yeah the sheraton hotel was it was declining it, it opened back in 1959 it was bought by ln hospitality in 2015. They had a lease for $300,000 a year that went through 2048, but that's been terminated. And LN Hospitality was sued last year for defaulting on their loans. There was a bad city inspection. The hotel was in very poor shape. Um, Airport Director Robert Kennedy says that the airlines that do business at Hopkins will cover the purchase of the hotel, and they hope to recoup that in about 10 years. They figure about $1.2 to $1.4 million a year in added parking revenue once that's once the hotel is gone yeah i mean i I guess this could be debatable but that's that's a walkable parking area if you park there you're about as far away as the distant part of the garage and so you don't have to wait for a shuttle to come get you yeah, and, and that was a big thing, is that these are adjacent to the Orange Lot. They're very close to a walkable situation. But, you know, this is interesting. I did not know this. Hopkins really lags on airport space, you know, parking spaces, comparable airports. Columbus has 16,000 spaces. Pittsburgh has 14,000. Hopkins has 6,500 today, and they're only going to get maybe 1,000 more, so... No, that's because they tore down that garage. I mean, yeah. They had a huge garage, and rather than make it work, they tore it down, which really puts people into a bind if they arrive at the airport with not a lot of time and the place is crowded. Speaking as someone who once had to drive to New York because I couldn't find parking for my flight, it's good news that they're adding, but there there seems to be a need for a much more thorough parking solution at the airport maybe as part of their big plan they'll start talking about that it's today in ohio why are the real estate purchases by a candidate for congress in ohio being called carpetbagging by the candidate's critics laura this was an interesting strategy by somebody who really wants to get elected yeah this is madison DeZoto gilbert and she bought three houses just to run when she didn't know where the boundaries would be wouldn't it be nice if we could all just like (laughs) buy three houses at a time um she also spent three months running for a toledo-based congressional seat before announcing in march that she would run instead in the newly reconfigured 13th congressional district that includes all of summit county a sliver of portage and northern stark county to be fair While the redistricting drama was playing out, nobody knew where the boundaries were going to be. So it was this very uncertain period. And I think she was just trying to play the odds of where she could get elected. Obviously, she really wants to be in Congress. She beat out, I believe, five or six other candidates in the primary uh, in May. But yeah, she uh, <laughs> her her now competitor, longtime Ohio legislator Amelia Sykes of Akron, is calling her a carpetbagger. 
Well, if you want to run for Congress and the gerrymandering problems don't give you an idea of where your line will be, I guess, what what choice do you have, right? I mean, you have to live in the district you run in. Maybe you could rent a place. I mean, (laughs) could I go over some of the prices that she paid? So she bought a house in Canton in April 2019 for $253,000. She recently, she sold that a year later for three twenty five. dollars so obviously made some money there. Then her her family bought in March 2019. 21. It was after she married a former NFL tackle named Marcus Gilbert. She brought property in Hartville. That property is valued at 463000 We don't know exactly how much they pay for it. And then, uh, I don't know, 10 months later, they bought a $2 million property in North Canton. And that sale registered one day before she announced that she would run for Congress. But she thought she'd be facing Marcy Captor, which... <laughs> I love this. On Twitter, somebody asked if they had a direct flight between Canton and Mercy Captain's <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, well, interesting strategy. We'll see if uh, it pays off for It's funny to me that, other... like, throughout this redistricting debacle, the Democrats are saying that the Republicans who are holding the pen have been using their knowledge of Democrats' plans to run in certain districts to draw them out of those districts or to draw multiple candidates into the same district and then this is how republicans get around (laughs) they just like buy buy houses in every district (laughs) there's also a golf course i believe that her family owns but um she is i wanted to say she is from the area like she was born i believe in jackson township so it's it's not like she just moved into a random spot and decided to call it home like she does have roots there but one other interesting tidbit is that secretary of state Frank LaRose texted Gilbert about the boundaries of the 13th and 9th district as soon as the maps came out. So you have the guy on the redistricting commission who is in charge of elections for Ohio texting a candidate and saying, hey, here's where the boundaries are going to be, which should raise, you know, some, I don't know. Great segue to our next question. You're listening to Today in Ohio. What are some wannabe Democratic candidates for the Ohio State House arguing in a lawsuit that the Ohio Supreme Court is fast-tracking? Layla, this is another example of the Secretary of State, the guy who's supposed to be the guardian of elections, trying to stick it to Democrats. At every step of this redistricting process, the Republicans have played dirty to try and keep Democrats from winning any seats. This is a really legitimate lawsuit. Yes, yes. So at the heart of this, we've got filing deadlines and the stakes are pretty high because if the Democrats fail here, it could mean they may not have valid candidates in at least three Democratic leaning state legislative districts. And it would leave state Democrats even further behind in a year when Republicans are really doing pretty well nationally. So the prospective candidates are four people who want to run for the state legislature and two who want to run for the Ohio Democratic Party Central Committee. And they they want to force Frank LaRose and county elections officials to accept their candidate petitions to run in the August 2nd special primary election. They say LaRose improperly told elections workers earlier this week to reject their petitions to prevent Democrats from even fielding candidates for office this year at all. And the central question is whether candidates had to file their petitions in February, like LaRose says, or May, like the Democrats say. And here's why it's even a question. They normally determine filing deadlines by starting at the election date and then counting backwards. Under the state law, you have to file 90 days before an election to make the ballot. Counting back from August 2nd, that sets the filing deadline on May 4th. 
writing candidates have to file 72 days before the election. That's May 22nd. All the plaintiffs in the Democratic lawsuit filed this filed this week um, to run before either of those two dates. But in the written guidance to elections officials this week, LaRose said candidates needed to file by February 2nd because last week's federal court order that finalized the district lines and set August 2nd as the election date didn't change the original filing deadlines. February 2nd is 90 days before May 3rd when the state legislative elections were supposed to occur and weeks before the lines were even drawn. It seems like a no-brainer that one couldn't have filed to run an election without knowing what district they would be running in. (laughs) But LaRose is saying you could have filed a form in March indicating that you plan to run in a different district given the redistricting debacle. He's trying to say that had you had that forethought you could have gotten around this this uh, dilemma that they find themselves in now, but uh, this is uh, this is quite quite a problem. LaRose has become one of the most sinister forces in Ohio. He holds himself out like, oh, I'm a good guy. I'm a good guy. He's not a good guy. I mean, he 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 corrupted the entire gerrymandering system as part of the redistricting commission. This is completely disingenuous. He knows he's wrong. They've got to be able to file once they know what the lines are. And just because the court is silent on the deadlines doesn't mean they're enforcing the deadlines. He should be bending over backwards to to support the election process, to help candidates get on the ballot. It should always be air on the side of expanding the participation. And instead, he's using a harebrained theory to, to block Democratic-leaning districts from having Democratic leaders after having been part of the system that gerrymandered the districts to reduce the number of Democratic-leaning districts. He's really a bad guy. It, it seems to me like this will be e- an easy one for the court, don't you? I mean, well, if the state I, law says you count backward from the election... I feel like the Democrats are going to shake out on the right side of this. Well, right? they're, and they're fast tracking it. So clearly they see that it's it's an urgent it's situation important to resolve quickly. Right. Yeah. Right. I, I just but but make no mistake. LaRose is playing dirty. He's trying to continue to skew and have disproportionate power for his party. He's putting party ahead of the voters. He's putting party ahead of what's best for the state. And he's the secretary of state. I mean, this is the guy who's supposed to put elections above, uh, make sure they're sacrosanct. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Why is it so hard to find people who want to be firefighters? Lisa, who knew? Well, and this is not just a local problem. It's a national problem as well. And it's been years in the making and the pandemic may have, you know, supercharged it a little bit. But firefighter candidates have decreased significantly in recent years. And fire chiefs that we talk to suspect a lot of factors. Job stress, it is a stressful job. The chances for injury are fairly high. The hours are unpredictable. And some departments have uh, their firefighters be paramedics as well. So they have dual certification. And the work weeks are odd. I mean, they they work like a couple days and they're a couple days off. And, you know, some people can't adjust to that. But area fire chiefs are united in saying they refuse to lower their standards. They don't want to do that, but they need to figure out some new recruiting techniques. So some of the things they've talked about is starting in high school, creating fire academies in high school and getting, you know, kids interested in it. And they also want to stress the community service benefits of being a firefighter, which is an interesting tack. 
track. Uh, cities in the area, Northeast Ohio area are collaborating on regional entrance exams. So it would be one entrance exam, one applicant pool from which these cities can pull their candidates. Uh, the Berea Fire Chief, Terry uh, Ledwell, says he's considering lowering the application fee. These are all efforts to try and get more men and women into the firefighter ranks. You know, it's, what's odd is we've talked about how they're having a hard time getting police officers, and that's a little more understandable because the police are in the crossfire. Everybody loves firefighters. I mean, who doesn't, who doesn't when the fire truck goes by in the parade, clap and get excited? Uh, it, it seems like they're also dealing with the, what everybody's dealing with, finding workers. But this also speaks to we have too many firehouses in Cuyahoga County. We should have a countywide fire department so with efficiency you wouldn't need as many firefighters. It, the par- part of our problem is we got fire departments everywhere with redundancy where the firehouses are. Layla, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, didn't we? Yeah, we did. Yeah, when we were talking about uh, mutual aid and how frequently communities have to tap into that to fight their biggest uh, their biggest fires. They, they so often have to rely upon one another. Why not create those formalized, you know, just, just formalize the agreement so that you are one big uh, regional fire department. Yeah. I, I want to add here, though, is not just fighting fires. The majority of these departments, these folks are also EMTs, and that is a lot of work. It's not just right. waiting for there to be a fire, right? They're responding to all sorts of emergencies. Think about COVID for the last two years. They were going into people's houses. It, you know, you're, you're driving the ambulance. You're, you know, you just never know what kind of emergency is going to be coming up. And that must be stressful. And it, they've got to lift these people onto stretchers and treat them in their homes. And you never know what the condition of the homes are be. I, I, I do see that it's, it is a stressful job. And I think the fighting fires is probably a smaller part than the EMT. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's also true that in, in impoverished communities of where a lot of people are uninsured, they rely upon the uh, the EMTs oh, for transport. really health care, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like they go to the hospital even for minor illnesses via ambulance. So, so uh, yeah, it's and true. It's very taxing. Lisa? No, I was going to say, I, I hope it works. They used to have to cap their applications just, you know, 10 years ago. There were lines out the door for people wanting to be firefighters, but now they're getting less than 50 applicants and sometimes much less than that. So it'll be interesting. Yeah, I had my neighbor's house across the street caught fire a couple years ago, and I think I counted 10 fire departments that showed up to this fire. Well, and you're right about the EMT part because that involves a lot of heavy lifting. I mean, you've got to carry bodies on stretchers downstairs. That, that is a major strain on the on the body. The other thing, one of our colleagues was pointing out yesterday that with the the expansion of the number of electric cars, you're getting more fires involving batteries, which have lots of toxic smoke and things. And so there's a lot more exposure to possible carcinogens it's a dangerous job and firefighters really are the heroes of the community uh it's just a surprising change that they are having a hard time attracting them you're listening to today in ohio with college athletes now able to profit from their names images and likenesses what's the strategy at ohio state university to make sure the buckeyes remain competitive in recruiting Laura, the name image license, the NIL trend, has completely upended the whole college recruiting situation because with players able to get money, that becomes a factor in where they want to play. Uh, Ohio State's trying to, to 
cope with this? What are they doing? Yeah, they're really trying to be in the middle of the pack here, basically, according to Doug Maurice, who attended a meeting uh this week where they talked about it they want to spend about 13 million dollars on basically compensating their athletes that's the price tag that the football coach ryan day put on it and this was at the cavelli center on campus uh, to unveil a corporate ambassador program they want to encourage businesses to hire osu athletes through the athletic department and doug says that you could break this down for an 85 man's uh, scholarship football team at $150,000 $150, per player, which does sound like a lot. But the better calculation is really about $500,000 each for the 26 guys you can't live without. Because there are going to be some players in some schools that probably don't benefit at all from this because they're not the superstars, right? Ohio State is not directly paying players, which it sounds like other schools are doing, even though it's not allowed they're trying to tie player payments to their actions and they put forth a bunch of ideas that they could do like brand endorsements autograph signings establishing camps making appearances and promoting businesses you've got to think that the superstar players the quarterbacks and those kind of guys that they're going to get lots of money it's Mm -hmm. that second tier that you want to make sure get some money because they're they could go they'll go elsewhere where somebody will guarantee them the money it, it changes the whole game it's it the whole it, i think it'll take years for this to filter out yeah doug was saying he thinks that the the top shelf quarterbacks are going to be about two million dollars in nil money major offensive tackles and edge rushers would be about a million dollars and they put it in terms of a speed limit like say there's a 45 mile an hour speed limit if you go too fast you're going to get pulled over you're going to get in trouble if you go too slow you're not going to compete so doug's guessing they're in the 53 to 57 mile per hour range so (laughs) so beating the speed limit a little bit but not the guy that just whizzes by and scares you on the highway doug always has a good way of putting this into perspective check out his story on cleveland.com you're listening to today in ohio which ohio congressman led the republican opposition to the gun bill that house democrats acted on thursday layla surprise surprise i know right he's he's your favorite congressman and mine (laughs) jim jordan (laughs) he seems to be leading the charge against this democratic gun control measure that uh, it's intended to thwart mass shootings, and he's he's claiming that they're they're just an attempt to hijack Americans' right to bear arms. Sabrina Eaton reports that the House Judiciary Committee has been discussing a bill that would ban people under 21 from buying semi-automatic centerfire rifles, crack down on large-capacity magazines, and expand the Biden administration's ban on bump stock devices and privately made ghost guns that lack serial numbers. And this bill would also address gun storage and establish a new federal firearms offense for gun trafficking and straw purchases. But Jim Jordan called it, quote, more more like political theater than a real attempt at improving public safety or finding solutions. I mean, what is it, if not solutions, that they're suggesting here? He noted that Democrats have the votes to pass whatever they want in the House of Representatives, but the legislation under consideration won't pass in the Senate because 10 GOP votes are currently needed to pass legislation on top of the 50 Democratic votes. And uh, he said this bill would not stop the terrible events. It wouldn't harden schools, but it will sure take away the rights of the American people who follow the law. That's what this is all about. It's just so wrong, but it's part of the pattern we've seen, you know, time and again. Yeah, because 
it's it's my God-given right to own bump stock devices and ghost guns without serial numbers and semi-automatic rifles, apparently, and, and whatever killing machine they invent next. Apparently, my right as an American to have that is more sacred than your right not to be killed by it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, America. That, <laughs> the idea that he's ha- doing a staunch defense of assault weapons. I mean, this guy ought to wear a dark top hat and have a waxed handlebar mustache. <laughs> he is the snidely whiplash <laughs> of the Congress. What, 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 what's sad is they're trying to have a legitimate discussion. They're not trying to stop the Second Amendment. They're not trying to stop people from having firearms. But what they're trying to do is to stop the weapons of mass killing. When nobody needs that. You don't need it to defend yourself. You don't need it to hunt. And rather than allow that discussion to happen, he, he uses the Republican tropes, the Fox News you know, nonsense from Tucker Carlson about how they're trying to disarm you. Nobody's trying to disarm anybody. They're just saying we shouldn't have military weapons in the hands of civilians. Yeah, I mean, God, this is just such a, such a sensitive time to be making the kinds of arguments that he's making doesn't he see that? Well, talking uh, well, so yeah, talking about painful. Po- well, in political theater, thy name is Jim Jordan. You know, he's <laughs> trying to. Thank you, thank you, Lisa. You know, he's trying to distract <laughs> from his role in the January sixth issue. So yeah, hello. <laughs> thank yeah, you. That, that's true. He is under the gun because he looks really bad as the, one of the guys trying to overthrow our government. The the. Uh, well, we'll we'll leave it there. Jim Jordan, so, so proud that he's from Ohio. <laughs> You're listening shame, for to Today shame. in Ohio. With all that is going on these days, we need more protests. And maybe the Cleveland Institute of Art has the answer. What is the thrust of the exhibit called We Want Everything, which ends a week from today? I'm disappointed. I'm not going to get to see it. I didn't know about it until I read Steve Litt's story. Yeah, I didn't either. It's a wonderful visual arts and interactive exhibit at the Cleveland Institute of Art's Reinberger Art Gallery at University Circle. It is closing June 10th, so you have about a week to see it. It was organized by New York artist and activist Josh McPhee, who graduated from Oberlin back in 1996. So it has a lot of graphic posters, magazine, album covers, books, and banners from protest movements stretching back really to the to the you know start of our country. Um, the exhibit is made to look like a printing workshop. I mean, they've got aprons hanging on the walls, and people can make their own little you know print. They can play with rubber stamps that have various protest themes and anthems. They can print it on a small piece of paper. They can also create larger multiple images on a, on a RISO printer. And while you're in the exhibit, there's a four-hour soundtrack of protest songs from around the world. A lot of these pieces are, you know, McPhee's creation. Um, so yeah, it sounds like it's just a visual feast and, and a way for people to kind of get their finger on the pulse of protests. Yeah, Steve really made you want to see it. and He knows how to write a story to really make something sound good to see. I just wish I had known about it sooner. Good stuff. Steve's story is on Cleveland.com. You're listening to Today in Ohio, and that does it for a Friday. You all have big plans. Layla, you can do anything this weekend, or are you still, like, digging out of your construction? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Digging out. Digging out. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> Lisa, plans? Just being outside, probably going to the beach. And Laura, you always have plans. You have more plans than anybody I know. I have a lot of conflicting plans. So it's like, what do you choose? Uh, we are going camping at Kelly's Island. So I'm going to go see that Lakeside Daisy that uh, Pete Krause wrote about recently. And I have never camped on Kelly's. So uh, this should 
be interesting. And you're supposed to get good weather. So have a good time. Yeah. Everybody have a great weekend. Thanks, Laura. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks, Layla. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Come back Monday. We'll be talking about some more news. Mm-hmm.